0: Heavenly Father, Lord, there's been a tremendous atmosphere created tonight by young people, Lord. It's not a sanctuary that's filled with the parents and uh, veterans, as it might be phrased, but Lord, just young people who are hungry. And I know it so pleased you, Lord, that their, their desire, Lord, and their enthusiasm, and their liberty and worship, that you've been happy to come and inhabit these praises. And we have no doubt that you're here. And if you're here, you desire to do something. Lord, you, you do not merely just bless us with your presence to say that we've been in your presence. But Lord, you do it that you may accomplish something. So Father, we yield ourselves to that. We just open ourselves up for you to speak to us. Lord, as I as, for myself personally, as I know you have placed something very specific upon my heart, a very simple message to uh, convey from you to the young people. May we just all open up our hearts to it, to receive it as from you. Lord, we ask these things in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you could, while you're standing, I'd just like to read one verse from 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. I'm very happy to be here with you tonight. And I consider it a great privilege whenever we're asked to speak to the young people. I believe if there is um, a a group of people within the church or a, a, a segment, as it were, it would be uh, that's most needful and you want to take the greatest care over and make sure that you feed properly, it would be the young people. And um, I know in some people's minds, they think, well, you kind of just give the leftovers to the young people or you let the, the new guys work with the young people. Uh, but really, you take great care. Over your young people and you really... So whenever I'm asked to speak a youth service, I consider it probably the highest privilege and the highest honor. And um, I've come across some people in my years of ministry, um, other ministers who've kind of used it as kind of a a diss, as it were, to try to put me down and say, well, you're just a youth preacher. You just kind of do youth things. And uh, little did they know they were paying me a great compliment, at least in my heart. So I consider it a great privilege to be here. I would have come here just for this service. And, uh, and then gone home tomorrow feeling like it would have been a worthwhile endeavor. And uh, maybe I would have stuck around to hear Brother Andrew preach. He got going there. And my first thought was, wow, he's got a preacher's voice. Uh, you know, I'm used to just kind of talking to him a little quiet. And then he got up here and he, and he finds just a little bit different octave, I guess, when he's ministering. So I was, in, I was enjoying that. And uh, we love the Dodd family very, very much. I've known them for many, many years. They've been a tremendous blessing to me. So I, I think it's just wonderful to see the Lord... Uh, working in Brother Andrew's life and using him, uh, and I hear he works a lot with the young people, so you encourage him, um, and I think it's wonderful that he's doing that. First uh, John chapter four, verse 16, it says, "And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him." And that, this, they ponder that phrase, "And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us." When John's able to write that, that's substantial. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. You may be seated. <clears throat> I, I, I think it's wonderful the atmosphere that you've created here tonight because uh, sit, uh, settings just like this often can be difficult for a minister, and to come as a visiting minister, um, even from a foreign country, uh, coming in and visiting and ministering to just, just have one youth service, it can be... a kind of difficult dynamic because success with young people in ministry is built upon trust. And a lot of times the ministers that are most effective with you are ones that you're familiar with through a weekend of meetings, a youth camp, or come and visit many different times and you get to know them, you see that they have a heart for you, you see that the Lord speaks to you through their ministry. And I know uh, probably the majority may have never heard me preach before, or maybe that's a little ambitious, maybe the majority have never even heard of me before. Some of you have heard me preach, and those who have probably don't even remember it. Um, so it's, you start a little bit behind in terms of building that trust and that rapport, and, uh, and you being able to say, well, who is this guy? Where is he coming from? Uh, what does he mean when he says that? And so we really just look to the Lord uh, to, that you have confidence in him, uh, because what I'm wanting to convey to you tonight, my, my title tonight is He Loves You, and uh, the He there is God. He loves you. That's my title and maybe a subject or just a sub-theme to that is God is not a quitter. Yeah. And, uh, and that's just what I want to convey to you. And I think to, for to really have an impact, um, I would hope that whatever relationship we've had in the past or whatever trust you can have at this moment, you can just place that in the, the Holy Spirit and know that He desires to speak to you because I think the most uh, effective um, Dynamics with young people is when they trust you and they know that you love them and you have that, you can just open your heart up for whatever the Lord would have. So I hope that we could to some degree do that to hear what the Lord has for us. And if you have your Bible still close to you in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, so just in the prior chapter, and we'll just jump into this subject of he loves you. And again, I want you to keep that theme in your heart. God is not a quitter. And um, so 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And, and so John, when he says uh, later on in the next chapter that he knows the love of God, he's saying this is how we perceive and understand God's love for us, is because he laid down his life for us. So this is how we know he loves us, is he, he sent his son to die for us and to give his life for us. And, and so when he says it, when he uses this phrase and it begins, he introduces the love of God this way or refers to it this way, he's wanting us to understand that it's an unselfish love. It's a sacrificial love. It's one where he wasn't doing something for his, merely his own benefit or that he would get something out of it, but he was doing it for your benefit also that you stood to receive uh, the greater good from it, or you stood to benefit the most from this expression of love. And it's important for us to begin to kind of pick up on that because our love, if we have human love, many times what we seek in expressing that love is for ourselves to be gratified and ultimately receive the greater benefit from that, that feeling and emotion of love. So when he's speaking about God and the love of God, we understand the love of God because it was pure, it was unselfish, it was sacrificial. And Jesus spoke in John 15, 13. He said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friend. So there was, this was a greater love that was being expressed, that he laid down his life for. So there's been no, other, uh, no greater expression of love than this expression from God. And then continuing in 1 John chapter 4. Verses 9 and 10, it says, And this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, and so he's really just trying to lay this uh, foundation and really understand that this is what manifested the God, love of God towards us, is he sent his son. That's what manifested it. So he tells us he loves us, and he didn't just say that he loved us, but he proved it by sending his son as a sacrifice to die for our sins. So he says, here in his love, not that we loved God. And, that's, and it's, he's, he's dealing with perception. He's dealing with understanding, being able to feel something and know something. And he's saying, it, the love of God isn't known because you love him. It's known because he loved us. That's the genesis of it. That's the beginning of it. And we, we, it's not here in his love, not because you love God, but because he loves us. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the love of God expressed to us. And knowing the love of God, perceiving, understanding God's love is not instinctive to the carnal mind. And that's why it's not just merely, I mean, the Bible could just consist of, well, God loves you, but it doesn't say that he's developing it. He's, he's, he's trying to give some basis for it and substantiate it through examples of the sacrifice of his son, because it's not instinctive to us in our carnal minds in our carnal emotions to understand the love of God. So the scripture is informing us about the love of God and perceiving God's love is one of the greatest challenges for a person. One of the most difficult things to do, and I'm, I want to spend a lengthy amount of time approaching it from the standpoint of why it's so difficult for a human to really understand and perceive God's love, because it's extremely difficult. And, and I want to begin at this basis and referring to this and kind of develop this further. Our perception of God's love, as he says, hereby we perceive the love of God, and John says we know and believe the love of God. From a carnal standpoint, if we're just trying to understand something and get our minds around it and uh, know what it is, our perception of God's love, if I say God loves you, then you're going to try to perceive that through some sort of uh, experience or something you've been through before. So our perception of God's love is informed by our own emotions and our own experience. So if we're going to perceive something, we're going to try to identify uh, with it. If If I use a term that you've never heard before and i believe my cousins in, in flagstaff they just they just came up with adjectives to describe things just to see if it would catch on amongst the young people i hope i'm not outing them now i think they're all married now so uh, they're not maybe hanging out with young people but they would just make something up and say oh that's dirt man that's dirt and just see if other people start saying that's dirt that's dirt and uh, and everyone referring to something as dirt, and they just made it up. But if you don't know what's being expressed by that, if someone says, "Well, that's dodgy," or "That's lame," or "That's this," if you don't know what the feeling is behind it, you can't really relate. So when we hear something and we see something, we process it through our own emotions. They said that was the most, that was fun, that was exhilarating. We identify with well, when I have fun, what's exhilarating to me? So we process it through our own emotions and our own experiences. And that's so, when we say that God loves you, Jesus loves you, and we start to think, okay, what does love look like? What does it feel like? How have I felt love? And how has love been expressed to me? And listen, that's where it gets problematic, especially when it comes to God's love. So Luke chapter 11, and and not to scare you, I have a couple dozen scriptures to to share with you tonight, and I just want to bring this through the channel of the word. I, 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 I could share, and if the Lord would lead me to, I would certainly be open to sharing my own experiences and, and other testimonies of people who've experienced God's love. But I, what I want to stay very, very close to is the Word of God so that you can kind of be connected to that uh, in, in understanding the love of God. In Luke chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now, we could use this outside the context of Scripture and maybe just find somebody, rephrase a little bit, and just ask somebody on the street and say, if you asked your dad for bread, would he give you a rock? And you might find somebody that would say, that sounds just like my dad. And say, if not a rock, he'd give me leftover bread or stale bread or tell me to go get it myself. And they would, they would answer that question based upon their own experience. Yeah. And, but yet, Jesus is using this anecdotally or uh, more of a rhetorical question in that you should assume the answer that yes, if a, if a son went to his father and said, Lord, Father, I would like some bread, he's not going to give him a stone. If you ask for a fish, he's not going to receive a serpent. If you ask for an egg, he's not going to get a scorpion. And so that would be your general expectation. That if you ask for bread from your father, he would give you something, uh, 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 some substance, bread. If you ask for fish, he would give you that or something uh, uh, complementary to it. And so Jesus is trying to draw a comparison of, of, of your relationship to your earthly father, earthly parents in understanding God's love and desire to you. So it has to be understood that in generally, the expectation would be that if a son asked his father for food, he would get something that would be food and not something that would be a harm to him or not useful for food. And so it's a. that that Jesus wouldn't want you just to draw from your own experience and say, well, I asked my dad for a fish one time and he told me to go fishing. Or I asked my dad for bread one time and he said, why don't you get a job and buy your own? He would want you, he's trying to lift up a general expectation that even a natural parent would want to do good things to their child or give their child good things if they asked for something that was worth asking for. But a parent's love, however, is not perfect. Parents aren't here. You can amen as loud as you want to something like that. A parent's love is not perfect. And as, as humans, we struggle to express love perfectly. I don't have my children here. I would have loved to have brought my family. I would have loved to have brought my wife and my four kids. Uh, my oldest son, Elliot, his birthday's tomorrow. And it just pained me. I wanted to, I told Brother Ed this, I wanted to cancel because I just started feeling really, really bad on missing his birthday. So I'm, an, I'm living proof. That um, uh, there's not not every parent is perfect, though we want to be. We make mistakes. We go out and preach on their birthdays and things like that. But as humans, and even as a a father, um, we don't express even our our. Uh, that pure love that we have for our children the love I have for all four of my children is pure and and it's unrivaled and it's something that's just so uh, 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 unexpected when you begin to develop that love for a child and it's you wouldn't want any harm to come to them but yet though I feel I have this pure love towards my children I don't always express it the right way with the right amount of grace and patience and the right tone and the right kind of compassion and so even a parent with the great love they have for their child they don't always express that love perfectly that that kind of love that feel of love being an emotion of the heart there can be other sentiments that are mixed with that love so it kind of slants the the um, the expression a little bit you love your children and out of love you would correct your child but there can be frustration that's joined with that love so it changes the expression of the discipline just a little bit to where it's not just pure love there may be a little bit of frustration mixed in with it it could be even naturally, as we love we feel that we have love for somebody. And, and that you might, well, I really have a genuine feeling, a genuine love, but then there could be feelings of jealousy and complexes that are mixed in with it, so it kind of perverts the expression of it. And just let me say this. this. I think this is something that's a real danger for young people. And, and maybe I could address this to young men more so. There's a tendency when you have a real carnal filial attraction to someone to get a possessive, uh, um, a carnal, jealous love over them. And it's very, very unhealthy for you and especially the one that you're projecting that, that, that desire towards. Because it becomes obsessive. It can become controlling and manipulative. And listen, nobody wins in that kind of scenario. So I I caution against those feelings if you're experiencing those as a young person, young brother, and you like a sister, and you begin to think in a way to manipulate and control and obsess and and be possessive over them. That's not the kind of even carnal attraction that you'd want to have towards someone, that you want to build a relationship with them. And eventually, if the Lord would have you to marry, you wouldn't want to do it on that basis. And so because these emotions, even a parent's love for the child, uh, can be shaped by other emotions and even other experiences... Paul, instructing fathers in Colossians 3.21, says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Now, this is instruction uh, to believers, to to believing parents, to Holy Ghost-filled parents. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. I do not believe Paul would caution a father not to provoke if it wasn't a weakness to do it. If it wasn't, if there wasn't some tendency in the natural man and even within parenting to do that, and then Paul wouldn't need to caution against it. So he says, "Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged." And you find that a lot of the instruction in the New Testament assumes the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but does not assume that that's all you need. That there still is an instruction that follows behind it to take that individual from a birth to maturity to placing, and so even to those who have the Holy Ghost, parents who have the Holy Ghost. We need to hear preaching and teaching, and we need the Holy Spirit to deal with us on how to parent correctly and how not to provoke our, uh, provoke our children to anger, even in parenting. Amen. So by our own weaknesses, we can interact with our children in a way that discourages them. Again, feel free to amen as much as you want. I mean, none of you are my children, so you won't hurt my feelings. If I get a text later on and my, children, my wife says, man, your children were amening so loud at that juncture. Because uh, I think they're streaming tonight. Love you guys. And Sweetie Pies. I only have one daughter. And I say she's so sweet. She just can't be a Sweetie Pie. She's too is Sweetie Pies. So if she's watching, let's say hello to them. Sweetie Pies. And then he says this in Ephesians 6, 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. So again, he's instructing now to the church at Ephesus, provoke not your children to wrath because it discourages them. As he says earlier, he says, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So because of weakness, because of just the human nature, Christian parents are taught to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord or love like the Lord while parenting your children. These are, this is an expression now to children and I'm, I'm taking my time to express this so that you can begin to understand that the word knows the uniqueness of the dynamics of your relationship to your parents and your relationship to others and how you're going to be filtering and processing the love of God through your relationships and through your experiences and through your emotions. So the word has to tell parents, listen, you love your children, but you still have to love them correctly and parent them correctly and discipline them correctly. It helps us to understand that not all emotions and discipline and things done by our parents are a perfect expression of love. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, he says, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So then we understand that a chastening, a disciplining, uh, an, an admonishment is part of the nature of God. Yeah. And therefore, when we see that a parent would do that to us, it's part of the natural parenting and a parent's responsibility before God. Yeah. So a chastening uh, and a correcting is not outside of the dynamics of love and the love of God and the Spirit of the Lord. He says, but if you be without chastisement, whereof all our partakers... Then are you bastards and not sons. In other words, if you're not being corrected, then you probably don't have a parent. Because God chastens his sons. Any son that comes to him must be chastened, must be rebuked, must be corrected. That's what God does to his children. So if God loves you and you're his child, then it comes with chastening, admonishment, rebuke. And there's a pain that comes with the chastening. And the reason is, so if you don't have chastening, then you're not not a child. Because, and I'm sure it's probably the general standard here, but when, some, when someone's child misbehaves, not everybody gets out the wooden spoon and says, let me at him, right? You know, let me take the. You know, somebody's acting up in church, and you look over, well, I think it's my turn to take him out back. <laughs> Is that Bob's son? Hey, it's my turn. Let me take him. I brought my wide belt today. No, you don't do that. You leave that up to the parents. That's the parent's responsibility. And if someone's not being chastised and corrected, then they're without a parent, right. So verse 9, he says, "...furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father's spirits and live?" Uh, And and again, now, just as Jesus drew on the relationship between a son and a father to understand God, now Paul is writing to the Hebrews saying, uh, "...look how we gave reverence to our natural parents should we not give reverence to God who is our spiritual father." He says, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. And what that means is, I, I like to think of it, you know, the exact opposite of what our parents told us, you know, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. You think I like doing this? But I mean, you can say, hey, the Bible says you do it for your own pleasure. But, it, but what it means is, the parents correct us according to what they believe is best for us. It says they do it according to their own pleasure. It's what they think is right. It, it, and not in a bad way, not in an arrogant way, not in a prideful way. But he says, our parents, after the flesh, which we gave respect and reverence to, chastened after their own ideas and feelings of what is good and what is right. He says, but he for our profit, In other words, not merely what he thinks is right, but knowing what is right. right. Not merely what he thinks would produce a good outcome, but what will produce the right outcome. Yeah. Our natural yeah. parents do, what, they, do what, they're, uh, what, what they're doing their best. They're doing the best they can with what they know to do. And, and our parents, many of them, uh, did not have the benefit that we have of being raised by message parents and message homes under message teaching. They came right out of the world, right out of different backgrounds, and began to raise children under the truth with, with the black and white of the message at their disposal oh man the message says this apply it the message says this apply it and they might not have even had the maturity and the depth of the word and relationship to Christ to, with Christ to know how to apply those things properly they did the best they could after their own pleasure doing what they thought was the best for you and what was right according to what they're reading and understanding but parents are fallible amen they're fallible they're not perfect they, they do, they're doing their best. They're doing the best they can. But he's saying they do it after their own pleasure. But he's doing it for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. He is infallible. He's, what he's, God is perfect. So what he does will produce and will yield if you yield to him the holiness. And so... As we, as I hope what you're picking up on as I read these scriptures is the reality of the dynamics of our own personal relationships with other people, to our parents, grandparents, uh, ministry, pastors, teachers, whatever it might be, how our life experience and our own emotions begins to shape our perception of love. Our experience of love with family, with parents, it, it molds it and shapes it, it kind of creates the filter, the prism through which we're going to view God's love. So that when I say, he loves you, And you say, okay, he loves me. What does that mean? He says, well, kind of like the love that a mom has for a child. And uh, people have experienced tremendous trauma as the result of their mother. And immediately they're kind of thinking, if that's what I'm signing up for, I don't want it. I know testimonies of people whose parents have tried to murder them and, and people who had, were to take care of them, abuse them, and people they trusted in took advantage of that. And so if you try to get them to understand the love of God by using the dynamic of an earthly relationship, you might find that that doesn't go deep enough. In some ways, it is very harmful and hurtful for them to try to perceive God's love through that channel. Yes. Yeah. And so that would be... Just me touching on, and listen, there is so much depth in just these few scriptures I've used to where we could just continue to go down that channel and develop that much more. But you're picking up on it very, very well, pulling very, very well. Listen, if just you all came back Sunday, we'd have a great time. So if this is a chance for people to go see the Rockies and we just all stay here, you know, let's just do it. I'm enjoying myself. Now, so not only does the love expressed to you from your parents shape, you form uh, and complexes and tendencies and instincts and uh, even reflexes to the love of God and ways of viewing the love of God, the love that we have for our parents also shapes it and the love that we have for other people. Because we, we love our parents, but yet we're all familiar with the other emotions that can enter into that picture that kind of muddy the waters. We love, we love our parents, but there's fr- we have frustration. We can, have, we can have anger. We can have confusion. There's a lot of other emotions that can exist at the very same time that you know you love your parents, but there's things that intervene. A hurt can come. A misunderstanding can come. And you can say, I love my parents. But yet we can find ourselves sometimes saying things to our parents, acting in a way towards our parents that we know is incongruent with how we really feel towards them. We'll show great disrespect. We'll say things very, very hurtful. And I don't care if this ever happens. And I don't like that. And I, don't, I can't wait till I can do this. And, and we can express things that are very, very hurtful. Uh, and yet we'd say, do you love your mom? Do you love your dad? Yes, I love them. But yet we can say and do things. So we're aware. And we all believe that our love is genuine. Even if we don't accept that our parents' is or somebody else's is, we all know, I love my dad, I love my mom. But yet we find that there can be disrespect, there can be uh, rude things that we can say, very hurtful things we can say and do. And yet, though we have that love, we can behave in a way that's contrary to it. And what's happening is you're building up this database and this tendency to know and to expect that someone who loves you will let you down, someone who loves you will hurt you, someone who loves you can do things to disappoint you and discourage you, and that's just what we come to expect, even in a kind way, in a patient and good-hearted way. Listen, they love you, but they can disappoint you. And we all know it's really the ones that love you that can hurt you the most the ones that you love, the ones that you open yourself up to, they're the ones that can actually hurt you the most. If I don't know you and I have no feelings for you and don't know who you are, and somebody walked up to me tomorrow at at, at the hotel and comes and says, you're the worst preacher I've ever heard in my life. And I'm like, you've never heard me preach. It wouldn't wouldn't bother, there wouldn't be any depth there to really, you'd just probably say, Satan, I really made you mad, didn't I? But if you had a young person come up to you that you knew, you established a relationship with, and, and if, or a family member, make a comment to you. Someone that you love, now that's the capacity to the hurt. Yeah. When, when you love somebody to the depth that you love them, there's almost an equal and opposite ability to hurt just as deep. And it just comes with the territory. And so we can, I think we can all begin to at least fellowship in this way because there's young people who resent their parents. Yeah. But yet they love them. But there's resentment towards them. And there's a lot of different reasons why they might hold that resentment. There's times when we can actually, we love our parents, but we scorn and we almost ridicule and we think, belittle their actions and their standard and the things they do. And that's through contempt or frustration or whatever it is. But yet, we love them, but we're, what I'm pointing out, and all I'm pointing out, I'm not trying to deal with those aspects. I'm just pointing out that that shapes your understanding of love. Yes. You say, well, I, lo- I know I love. But I can feel this, and I can feel that, and I can experience this and experience that. So when John says in 1 John 4, 16, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, in God with him, in him. John is distinguishing God's love from any other love. And when he says that we have known and believed the love that God hath to us, we cannot use all these scriptures from Luke 11, Colossians 3, Ephesians 6, Hebrews 12, and all these things I've talked about in these last uh, several minutes... We cannot use those experiences to inform us perfectly of this love that, uh, that John is talking about. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. is Though it would be likened to the love that a father would have for a son. Though we, we first begin to learn how to obey God in how that we obey our parents. And we come to understand and know what love is first from our parents and that parental relationship. We cannot just take that viewpoint and that experience and just accept that that's the way it is with God. Because His love is different and it is necessary to know and believe the love that God has for us and not to confuse it with our own love in other words if you love your parents and you genuinely love your parents how many of you love your parents well I hope that's unanimous Uh, if this is on mp3 let the record reflect that I raised my hand and, and if you love your parents, then you can say, how many of you have been upset with them? How many have said things you, <laughs> that you regret? And how many have been hurtful? And how many have disobeyed? You say, yep, 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 yep. So if you take your love that you have for your parents and then think that's the same kind of love that God has for you, then you would expect a similar way of behavior. As you behave towards others, you would expect that from God. But God's love is different than that. <laughs> and even without thinking about it, we assign carnal characteristics to God's love. Not even thinking about it. love. We think love, love. God loves us, and immediately we can start assigning characteristics of selfishness, and a-, a conditional love, an inconsistent love, a temporary love, a love up and down, a love that's confusing. This way, one minute; this way, the next. And we can just start thinking, well, that's just the way, the, that's the way love is. Love hurts, and love is war, and this happens, and this happens, and, and, and these things take place. But John says in verse 18, there is no fear in love. First John four eighteen, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is no fear in love. In what love? The love of God. For, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. I, and if I could just try to emphasize this and not spend too much time, I feel like time's getting away from me. Uh, but listen, we're young people. We can hang out all night. Amen. I mean, right? Amen. Get home at 1 o'clock in the morning. Where have you been? Well, Brother Aaron preached till 1230. they admit say, yeah, we're, we're going to be out of town Sunday. He preached that long at a youth meeting. He's trying to, he's wanting us to understand that his love is free from hypocrisy. His love is free from torment. His love is free from abuse. There are people, and I wouldn't want to take away or subtract from the, the genuine emotions that they have, but they, they, they love their spouse or they love their children, but they're serial abusers emotionally and verbally. And they can be manipulators, and, and they don't try to convolt an atmosphere of trust and where the wife trusts them and they trust the wife and they build the relationships to where there's mutual trust, but they become controlling, they become domineering, and they become manipulators. And instead of working through relationships to where something becomes more instinctive and they grow into it and they're yielding obedience and they're doing the things that are necessary, they kind of force them and control them to do that. And so you would expect God to be that way, but God is not a manipulator. Yes. God is not going to motivate you through fear. God's not going to motivate you through manipulation. God's not dangling you over hell saying, love me or I'm going to send you to hell. That's not the way that God works. People can do that to you in the name of the Lord, but that's not how God works. There is no fear in God's love. His love will actually cast out fear. Why? Because fear has torment. And why would God want you to be in love with Him and still have torment? It defeats the very purpose of His love. So His love is free from abuse, free from manipulation. I really hope this is setting somebody free tonight. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, He says, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So He commendeth His love. He proved his love to us. And he says that he, that he gave that Christ died for us. So he proved his love to us in that Christ died for us. But this, this phrase that he inserts into here is so important for us to understand as humans because we read that he sent his son to be a perpetuation for our sins. And greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That, that We see that, yes, he gave his son, he gave his son. But it's important to understand that he did it while you were yet sinners. It wasn't a conditional act of love where he says, well, because you do this, I'll do this. And we say, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Right? If you do something for me, I'll do something for you. It, it wasn't like he was waiting, kind of waiting to show his hand. And, and that's, what we, that's kind of what we do in our natural relationships. And A brother likes a sister and it's kind of like, you know, if if you liked me, if I liked you, would I mean, just hypothetically, I mean, would you like me, and would that be something, I mean, just hypothetically. I All mean, right, you're, you're kind of testing the waters, right? And if they're kind of like, well, you know, hypothetically, yeah, if you liked me, I'd like you too, hypothetically. Well, then I hypothetically like you. Well, I hypothetically like you too. Well, you know what, I think I do actually like you now. Why? Because we're kind of hedging ourselves. We want to build into contingency. If she says, well, are you crazy? You're like a brother to me. I was like, I know. That's why I was just checking because I was like, man, I just, you're like a sister to me. And I was kind of feeling like you liked me. I didn't know how to let you down easy. And I'm so glad you said that because, man, I just thought it was going to be really, really awkward. Because that's what we do carnally. We kind of eh, I don't want to I don't want to show my hand too quickly, and I don't want to get rejected because it's all part of the carnal thing. God God was willing to risk it all, and wasn't worried about the rejection. He did. He showed this love, knowing that he would receive rejection from the majority and almost all. But he was willing to express it because he loved you. He did it while you were yet sinners. So he didn't wait until you'd showed some affirmative step, until you did the right things. Put yourself in just this right mode. He says, All right, now I'm gonna start looking out after you. Now I'm gonna start watching out for you. Now I'm gonna put a seed in you. Now I'm gonna really show you I love you. No, uh 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 That doesn't work that way. God's love is elective. And I I hope I can come back to this at the very, very end. But this is these these are the two things I'm wanting you to understand tonight. And I want to drive this home. He loves you. Amen. If that's all you can walk away from, if you don't make one step to God, if, you don't, if there's no change that takes place in your heart necessarily, but if this seed could just drop in your heart and you could accept it and believe it, he loves you, then I, that my purpose is accomplished. And the second part I'd want you to understand is if you can know and believe that he loves you now, then know and believe that if he ever loved you, he'll always love you. That's it. That's what I want you to understand. He loves you and he's not a quitter he loves you and it it doesn't matter he's never going to say I've been with you for 30 years and I thought you would change and I thought you would do this and I've been waiting for you to pick up the slack and I was just here with you for the kids but you know enough's enough I'm leaving God will never have that conversation with you if he ever loved you he will always love you and that's what I want you to get tonight why would he want why would he want you to believe in his love and it carried with it torment. So he says that while you were yet sinners, this is an unconditional love that's not qualified by your actions or your attitude or your behavior. He doesn't say, well, I'll love you if you love me. I'll do this for you. I'll watch out after you. I'll protect you. I'll look out over your life. I'll, I'll keep you from this. I'll keep you from that. I, I, or I'll allow this to happen. I'll let, he doesn't, he's not waiting uh, uh, there to, to express his love. He's saying he loved us even while we were yet sinners. He died for us. And you know, we've, I'm sure all of us have heard that song, The Reckless Love of God. I can't remember the words necessarily right now. Don't worry, I'm not going to break into song. I might, but I'm not, I don't think I am right now. But you know, when you first hear it, this is just me being personal with you. And I know it's a very tricky area sometimes to get into the uh, music and contemporary music and those things. But when you first hear it, to say, call God's love reckless, it's a little off-putting, isn't it? And I know some people have changed it maybe uh, and sung it a little bit different way. Um, Precious love of God, I think, is one way I've heard it rewritten. But I pondered it one day and I thought, you know what? From a human standpoint, it really is reckless. I mean, from a natural standpoint, it's like, man, you just, it's just all out, all in, no conditions. I love you. Well, what about this? <laughs> I love you. What if I do this? <laughs> I love you. What, about, what if I did this? Well, I still love you. I tell you what, what if you put me in the truth? You raised me in the truth. I was in it for 19 years, and then I, I walked away from it. I did this, and I did that, and I did it with a bad attitude. What about it? I still love you. Amen. Like, man, that kind of seems reckless from a human standpoint. Like, at some point, God, cut your losses, you know, maybe hedge a little bit. Go on to somebody else that maybe at least appreciates a little bit more. No, nope. He loves you. It's a relentless love that knows no measure, knows no limits. And this is the love that we must be convinced of. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Not an understanding of love through the prism of human relationships or the love that we have for other people, but the true love that He has for us. Because the Bible says that God is love. And we know that charity is love. And it's this pinnacle, this capstone of the stature of a perfect man. It's the gift that Paul said that we must desire to have. If we do not have it, we're nothing. 1 Corinthians 13 8 says, Charity never faileth. Yeah. So God's love for you, this love I'm lifting up, we have known and believed the love that God has to us, and that love never fails. When it says it never fails, it never falls off. It never gets cold. It never wanes. It never kind of wanes a little bit and diminishes. And where a love can be real hard, human love can be that way. You really like somebody and it's just, seem, yeah, there's a lot of love. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of fellowship. A lot of things going on. And then after a while, it just gets cold and cold and cold. And the same things aren't there anymore. And you say, that's a filial love that diminishes. Now, it may all still, it's still there. But just the expression of it, the intensity of it, it just diminishes. But God's love doesn't do that. So if you're ever experiencing that God's love for you is diminished, then that's a wrong feeling. It's inaccurate. It's not true. Because charity never fails. It never tapers off. It never wanes. It doesn't diminish. God's love for you is always intense. It's always passionate. It's always relentless. It's always reckless from a human standpoint. And that never changes. His love never fails for you. It doesn't get cold. He doesn't get upset with you. And say, I've tried, I've tried. She keeps doing this. She keeps doing that. And his love grows cold. No, that's you growing cold to God's love. His love is still just as strong as it's ever been. It's a strong love. This is a love that he has for you. He's not just, he's not standing back there with arms folded. Going, okay, all right, here we go. Here he goes again. Just waiting. I, I love you. I love you so much. I, I love you. I just. I want you to know. I'm here for you. And then you do, do a little bit of dirt, like the bad kind. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, God's like, Oh my goodness gracious. I think, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Go ahead. Here he goes again. And and. We think that way because sometimes that's what we can do as as adults and parents. We see the Lord move in a youth service or youth camp or something like that and we see that one person go up to be prayed for or go to the altar and we're really going, oh here, here she goes again. And we're already, we're already thinking, ah, you know, we're already thinking negative. We're already thinking, oh, you know, if you know if it was me, I, if I was Brother Ed, I wouldn't even let, let them come up for prayer. Why did he even let them come to church? And here's God saying, hey, I'm always here. Come to me. Come to me. You're not going to wear me out with your coming. You're not going to wear me out with your repent. You're not gonna, come, just come, come. I'm here. Because if he loves you, he's always loved you. And it's not that he loved you at a ten in the beginning. And now it's like at a three. So like, well, you better convince me now. I know I told you I loved you, but now I'm kind of like, listen, you got to earn this back. No, that's not the way God is with His love. Because it says this. Because God, God, I want you to, in this image of your mind, God loves you, but he's not sitting there and standing back waiting for you to fail and be like, yep, see, I knew you couldn't handle it. That's not the way God is. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Now, this is what informs charity never faileth. Charity beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So it'll bear all things. It'll hope for all things. It'll endure all things. And it actually is a love that believes in you. The very thing, the very object of God's love, he has confidence in you. He loves you, so he believes in you. He knows that you'll make it. And listen, at the end of the day, he knows you will because he loves you. Not even because you love Him. He says, I know you're going to make it. Well, how do you know, God? How do you know I'm going to make it? Because I love you, and I'll make sure that you make it. So we stop resting in our own abilities, our own promises, our ups and downs. Say, I'm going to make it? I'm really going to make it? Well, how? Why? He goes, because I love you, and my love will see you through. It'll pick you up out of the pit. It'll dust you off when you fall. It'll heal your wounds. I love you. You are going to make it. Why? Because I love you. Because it bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Listen, this is a stubborn love. This is stubborn. You don't have to worry about God ghosting you. You You don't have to worry about... God given up on you? This is stubborn. It's a love that will never give up. Amen. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. That's what he's trying to do. He's draw, he wants to draw you through that channel of love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Psalms 52 once says, The goodness of God endureth continually. It's the love of God. It's stubborn. It's a stubborn grace. It's a stubborn love. And I'll never give up on you. I want to read to you the, the entire parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. If you want to turn there, it's verses 11 to 24, Luke 15. And just try to enter with the kind of the foundation that we have to this point. If we could enter, just kind of uh, pick up in this. All right, my, you just are all pulling so well. A, um, I, I really sense that um, a channel has opened up that pleases the Lord, and He's try, He's wanting to speak to your hearts on things that are of great value. And I think maybe in a, a, another sense, these can just be building blocks for the Holy Spirit to use for you going forward. It says now, and he said, a certain man had two sons. So we have a father and two sons. So there's actually, we'll only deal with the one son, but he's expressing dynamics between father and son. And you find that there's an attitude of a son towards a father, a father toward a son, and then a son towards a brother. And then how the father deals with that son's attitude towards another brother. And it's very instructive in natural relationships. But at the end of the day, Jesus is wanting us to catch something. It's a parable to understand relationship and even God's love to us. And how that our own carnal expectations, our own carnal feelings, our attitude towards others, and even our attitudes that we develop within our natural relationships can impair our ability to receive what God has for us. He said a certain a man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And this is a quite a, 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 you would think this is a, a very significant event. He says, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. That's what makes him the prodigal son. The prodigal son is the wasteful son. He's, he wasted his inheritance. The very thing that a father passes down to a son, the very benefit of that relationship, he squandered, he's wasted. Because the Bible says a good man leaveth an inheritance to his grandchildren. Well, now the son has completely wasted that inheritance. So now the the father would want to fulfill the scriptural role and be a good man to leave an inheritance to his children's children. But now this this wasteful son has really interrupted the program of God, the scriptural program, the the, the, uh, legacy, as it were, of the father. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. So now he's in a foreign land, and now he becomes a slave or a servant in that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, so if you could just picture where this, this prodigal son would have been, this son would have been in the... Uh, the, the, with the pigs eating their husk. But something happens where he wakes up. Yeah. He's like, what am I doing here? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a slave in a foreign country fighting with a pig for food. And the first thought that he has now when he comes to himself, this is the thought that Jesus is expressing. And, and we're entering into the mind of this son who is wayward. How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? So now he, when he comes to himself, his first thought is of his father and how that the servants in his father's house have bread. And here he is, he's a servant, he's a slave in a foreign country, and he's starving, eating what the pigs eat. So he says, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." Now, there's two outstanding aspects about his thoughts that we have this window into his thoughts. The first one I want you to pick up on is his perception of his father's reaction towards him. And what I believe it really forms at, at at the very basis is his expectation of what he would think his father would do to him. I mean, he knew he had done wrong. And clearly he was arrogant to start. And so maybe we shouldn't put it past him to show up at his dad's house and say, hey, you know the other half? I want that too. Like Maybe, there, maybe we could expect this prodigal son, this wasteful, delinquent, rebellious son, maybe to, to uh, kind of uh, approach his father in an irreverent way and expect maybe more. But we can at least see that at the very uh, f- uh, foundation of his thoughts towards his father's, this is what he expected or what he thought he had coming to him. This is what he thought he deserved. Now, my father has servants, and those slaves at least eat bread. So I'll go to my dad, and I'll say, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants. This is what the son thought he deserved. This is what the son thought he had coming to him. And it probably reflects what he thought his dad would do to him. And Boy, if I go back to my dad, my dad's smart, he's sharp. He raised me the right way. I've wasted his inheritance. I've got nothing. I'm going to come back to him, and this is probably what he would do to me. He'd probably say, well, son, I'll let you come back, but you're going to live with the servants. You, you took my inheritance. You took part. Even that was your brothers to build upon. You took it. You wasted it before time. You can, yeah, you can come back, but you're with the servants now. And he'd be like, well, I had it coming to me. I want you to pick up on that part, number one. But number two... I think what's very, very outstanding is his humility to accept it. Like in, in his condition, he didn't think, well, you know what? If that's all I'm going to be as a slave there with my dad, then I'll just stay right here in this slop. And that's how a lot of us are. When we come to this place, we know we're not doing the right things. And yet we feel this pull. You know what? I should, I should, I should come back. To Lord, And you kind of get this idea, well, this is the way, the way the response is going to be. Well, if that's the way, if it's going to be that way, then I'm just going to stay where I am now. It just shows you haven't quite come to that place yet. But he had the humility to accept it. So even though he thought this is what he had coming to him, his attitude was, well, you know what? I deserve it. I, 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 I accept it. So it says in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. And this is where the story just begins to change. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This changed, this, this, to me, this, this, is the, this is the vision I want you to see. The son walked away, and as he walked that same, as you read earlier, it says a couple days later, he got all his stuff together. It says in a few days he gathered all his stuff and, and took his journey into a far country. He went down that road to leave. And that father may have stood there at the gate and may have stood there at, at his property and walked his son walk off that property and go down this dusty road and watch him take that path all the way gone, going on this journey to waste all his inheritance. But when he, be, when he was coming back, The father didn't let him walk that all the way back all alone. Says when he was a great way off. He's like, I know you walked away from here alone, but I won't make you walk back alone. You might have walked away by yourself, but I won't make you walk all the way back by yourself. When he saw him a great way off, he went running down that same dusty road. And he ran to him, and before he even had a chance to object, before he even had a chance to express it, he fell upon his neck and kissed him, said he had compassion. That's real love. There was no antagonism. He didn't run down there and go, ha, ha, I told you you would do it. Ha, ha, look what you did. Hey, where's your money now, big player? No, he didn't do any of that. He ran him and had compressed compassion. He wasn't trying to antagonize him, wasn't trying to belittle him. He was trying in with you Son, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I, I know that part is gone. I know you've made mistakes. I know you've done wrong, but I love you. Yeah. Oh, and this this kind of love, it just gave this young man confidence to be able to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And this is humility is so important. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him." And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. That's the love God has for you. He's not running down that road and to say, you know what, I would give you a road, but you blew it. Yeah, you know what? I had a ring I could have given you one day, but you'll never get it. No, he ran and meets you on that pathway. Listen, if any of you have left, any of you turned back, any of you are sinning, any of you have wandered far from God, I challenge you tonight to make a turn and turn around and start walking back to him tonight and you'll find he'll meet you down that road. And he'll walk with you all the way back to the Father's house. That's the kind of love that God has for you. In this very scenario, there may not be many parents that can express it quite that way. There might not be many ministers that have been able to show that same kind of compassion, that same kind of balance, that same kind of open love, unconditional love to receive a sinner back. It may not have ever been expressed to you in your own natural life. You may not have any personal experience or emotion that you can attach it to. But let the Holy Spirit root it in your heart tonight. This is the love that God has for you. Listen, I, I, I don't know if I've been preaching at an hour or how long I've been preaching. <sighs> but, um, I, I, like I said, I'm fallible, so you make mistakes. And I wouldn't want to make a mistake of stopping short. Because, listen, Satan knows where to, how to hit you where it hurts, especially with us as young people. He knows how to hit us where it hurts the most. And what he'll try to do is exploit some vulnerability in you. To where he wants to make you feel rejected, make you feel lonely. Yeah. And he'll try to do that with the relationships with, uh, with our own family within the church. And, and listen, when you have a, uh, even when you have an, uh, an ethnically diverse congregation, it's very easy for, you know, the Zims, they have their, uh, you know, they have their t- togetherness. And then you have those from Ghana, the West Africans have theirs and the Baluba have theirs. And everyone kind of has their own little connections because we're comfortable in that. But it's very important for us to feel a part of the whole body and feel like a family. I, I, I moved from a church in Texas and, uh, and we, we go to church in Hickory, North Carolina and I, I hope this, maybe this isn't too broad of an audience, but I, I tell everybody that we're the only African family in the church now. Uh, because I feel, I feel like I'm Congolese just like my other brothers and sisters are. I do. But because we're family, have a love, we have a bond. Uh, we, they, we, because we don't want one to feel different or feel left out. or we, we feel like this is something that's beautiful that only the word can do to bring people together like this. And Satan knows we're just to kind of hit us where we're vulnerable. Especially if someone's in a foreign country and they're away from family and they're around different languages. Where they, they're going to look for some kind of togetherness and identify with somebody. And a lot of times we'll find a pocket of our culture in the world. And that's the only place we identify and feel some kind of acceptance. And people can be real solid in in good churches, other places, and then move. And the parents, oh, it's so wonderful. They're going to Brother Harold Hilderman's church. It's so great. We're so glad that they're with Brother Ed's ministry. He's been to Ghana many times. He's been this. Oh, this is great. This is wonderful. But then you get there, and you don't feel connected. You don't feel apart. And the parents have no idea that you're out there connecting with your community that has no, no connection with the Word of God. You know I'm telling the truth. If not about you, somebody you know. Because it happens. Because Satan knows where to hit us. He knows to get us in those vulnerabilities. And where Satan wants to hit us the hardest is in our knowing and perceiving the love that God has for us. Mm -hmm. He wants you to think that God's love has limits. And then if it has limits, then there's a line that you could have crossed. Like God's love Uh will go this far. (laughs) But as soon as you step down, then his love can't get you over here. He wants you to think that. that. Now what you've done is you've outrun God's love. Listen, none of you are that fast. Listen, I, I, I don't care if you are from Ethiopia. You can't run a marathon long enough. You just can't do it. Because his love, you can't outpace his love. It's chasing you down. It's right there, every step. You're running hard in the world. Running hard. i got to get away from this message. And God's right there saying, you can't leave me. Uh-uh. Nuh-uh. i got my running shoes on, God wants you to know. I done stretched this morning. God's like, oh, you're going to run today? Uh-huh, I'm right there. I got you. Why? Because I, you, you, we say it all the time. I got you, fam. I'm, this is my brother. You're like, you're not even relating. No, this is my brother. Why? Because that's the way we are naturally. And God's like, I got you. I'm there for you. You can't outrun me. And the devil wants you to think that "Ah, there's some point where you're going to do it. You can't do it. If he ever loved you, he will always love you. That's why I, I need to go very quickly now. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I prayed for thee because Satan wants to agitate you, wants to shake you like a sieve separates you. But I have prayed for you. You don't think God likewise has done the same thing over you, pronounced a blessing over you? Yeah. Yeah. Satan wants to make us fearful, constantly questioning our standing with God. Yeah. Yeah. Or wants to pervert our coming to God. God does not want you to yield to him because you're afraid of hell. Yeah. Yeah. The basis that he wants you to come to him is the fact that he loves you. You don't come to him and say, well, why, honey, why are you here? Well, I don't want to go to hell. And he'd be like, well, okay. But he said, well, I, I, know, I know that you love me. And I'm hurt. I'm broken. I don't know. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. And I, I, I know that you love me and I can trust you. He said, well, come home. You're home. In Galatians 5, 6, 6, it says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Love is what motivates God to pursue you. Love is, the, this is how faith works. Faith which worketh by love. The Bible says many waters cannot quench love. God's love cannot be stopped. God's love cannot be quenched. It's an unmovable force that can move anything. And Paul writes Romans chapter eight. I'll read it quickly just to lay these seeds in there and try to hurry to a finish line here. In Romans 8, 35 to 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And his answer is nothing. Nothing. And I love it. It, it, They're they're all rhetorical questions. He just goes on and on and on. Uh, Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. As it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Does that do it? Nay. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. A conqueror would probably be the, the highest achievement, the pinnacle. If I can have personal audience with any one of you and we could sit down and just talk as humans and just reason things out and go through your life and just pinpoint a moment and say, now, does this separate you from the love of God? Let's think about this. Let's ponder this. Let's let's apply it. I believe Paul wanted to write it in such a way to where there's nothing you could write down where he would say, now, that doesn't protect you. You've lost. You're have you separate. You can't do it. I believe he wrote it in such a way that no matter what you would express to me in private, he would say, no, that does not separate you from the love of Christ. Do you realize that Paul even said he was a blasphemer? And that's the one we often go to. Well, if he blasphemed the Holy Ghost, you know, this is going to happen. Paul said he was a blasphemer. But what what covered that? Love did. Listen, I I, I know some people don't like it when you preach this way, but I am not worried about any one of you being lost. Not worried about it. I believe you're the seed of God I believe you're children of God I believe you're the generation that God's been looking to come that's going to defeat death I believe that ministry exists for the purpose of lifting you up and empowering you and encouraging you and getting you to a place to recognize who you are so I have a problem saying listen say what you want do what you want go where you want but one day this love is going to hunt you down and get you one day it's going to find you and it's going to get you Because nothing can separate the elect from God's love. So stop looking back. Stop looking at things past or present or things to come, whatever it might be. Stop looking at your acts and your attitudes and all the shortcomings and your failures. His love is greater than that. What is it you're going to offer tonight before God that says, no, this is greater than your love? No, no, sorry God, this is greater. Nothing. He even writes to him in First John. He says, "If your heart condemns you, God, who is love, is greater than your heart." Amen. So if your heart condemns you, and there's something I say, well, no, I just don't know if I can do. it, I think this is great. He says, "No, God's greater than that. God, which is love, so His love is greater than that." And he says, "And God, God is. If your heart condemns you, then God is greater." And it says this, and knoweth all things in other words whatever you say he's already taken into consideration and he's greater if your heart condemns you god's greater than your heart and you say well but, but you don't know about this because no i knew that i knew that already there's nothing you can say to him that he's gonna catch him by surprise oh my goodness what have i got myself into i love her unconditionally and she just told me she did that what am i gonna do he's like i know that already he knoweth all things. He's greater. Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. I sought it. I wanted it. I wanted peace. I wanted to feel rest in my soul. He says, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of cor- corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. what, what motivated him to do that? Love for your soul. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. So you can't even lay a charge. It's God that justifies. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, God is not angry with you. He loves you, He's trying to woo you, he's trying to get your attention. Even when hurtful things happen to us by our own stubbornness and the path that we take, God's not doing it because He's angry with you, He's wanting to get your attention. This is the love that we have to be convinced of. If he ever loved you, he'll always love you. He'll never, ever, ever give up on you. He loves you and God's not a quitter. Love doesn't quit. He'll never never even let you go. Because nothing shall separate us from the love of God. I want to read a couple. I want to finish with a couple scriptures and read something to you. That I read one time that I think captures this love that's. Pursuing you, Isaiah forty-three verses one to seven. He says, "But now thus saith the Lord, that created thee, O Jacob, and He that formed thee, O Israel, fear not; for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by name, thou art mine." He loves you. These words are to you. You take these to your heart. No matter what condition you're in tonight, no matter how wayward you might feel you are, no matter where, where what station you are in life, fear not. I've redeemed thee. I've called thee by name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burnt. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee he loves you it's a a stubborn love a relentless love and there's this story a little allegory i read one time that's so beautiful because even if we sit here we sit in situations where we have hard hearts and through abuse and manipulation and experience, we don't quite understand the love of God. We attribute selfish motives to Him, and we feel that His love has limits. And through hardness and uh, estrangement and whatever kind of behaviors we've endured as children and as young people, with people that we love, and or they love us, emotion, our own emotions, our own experience shape this perception of God's love. So here we are hurt, we're wounded, we're maybe a little bit closed off, a little bit standoffish. I know of a story of a man one time who his pastor had noticed that he never would quite yield to God. And I may have actually shared this here many, many years ago. He would never yield to God. He'd always come right up to it, and he wouldn't. Here's a grown man in his 50s or something, maybe even 60s, and he'd come right up to the door, never yield. And the pastor asked him, he noticed, he said, why do you do this? And he told a story How that when he was a young boy, he really, really wanted this fire truck that had all sorts of neat bells and whistles. You could hook the water hose up to it, and it would spray water, and it had sirens and everything. And he really, really wanted it, and he had told his dad about it, and he did something to make his dad angry one day. And his dad took him to the car, popped up the trunk, and there was this fire truck. And he said, if you hadn't been such a stupid boy, I would have given this to you. And that right there put a, put a complex, put a breach in this man's spirit to now, decades later, he's unable to accept unconditional love from God because he runs it through the filter of his experiences with his dad. So these things are very real, very real for us. But I want you, if there's gonna be something that's gonna make the difference, I want you to kind of catch the, the 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 theme of this. It says, it starts with, I'll master it, said the axe. And the blows fell heavily on the iron. But every blow made his edge more blunt till he ceased to strike. That's the the axe. Leave it to me, said the saw. And with relentless teeth, he worked backward and forward on its surface until they were all worn down or broken. Then he fell aside. Ha ha, said the hammer. I knew you would not succeed. I'll show you the way. But at his first stroke, off flew his head and the iron remained as before. The axe, the saw, the hammer, trying to get this iron to yield. And finally, there's this question, shall I try? Set a flame of fire. They all despised the flame, but he curled gently around the solid bar and embraced it and never left it until under his irresistible influence, it was so melted to take the form of any mold. It desired. That's what God's trying to do. Amen. If somebody's used this message as an ax, if, the, if your parents have been at times a saw, if you felt that sometimes it was a hammer, what's wrapped in itself around you right now is his love. Amen. And that is what will change you. Could we bow our heads? Fire curled gently around the solid bar and embraced it, and never left it until, under its irresistible influence, it was so melted to take the form that the Smith desired. I believe God is speaking to a heart, perhaps more than one. And I believe that there's a, I would pray that there's an awakening in your heart to this love of God, that you can realize he does love me. He does love me. It's not, I, I didn't, I haven't outrun it. It's not temporary, it's not conditional. I shouldn't expect him to love me like even my parents do. He'll never give up on me. He'll never do it. All the wasted hours, all the wasted minutes, all the wounds, all the brokenness, He's never given up. And in Luke 11, verses 11 to 13, it says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If he ask a fish, will he, for a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? It says, If ye then be in evil, he's talking about a father, know how to give good gifts unto your children. Listen, this is answering a prayer to your hearts. How much more shall your heavenly father Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Maybe we don't receive it because when we ask, we're not not asking through the understanding he wants to give it to you because he loves you. He's not going to give it to you because you're good enough. Not even going to give it to you because you love him. We love him because he first loved us. And if our parents, being carnal, being imperfect, being fallible. Know how to give good gifts to us as children. How much more does your heavenly father want to give you the Holy Spirit if you'll ask him for it? Is there, is there one, we have heads bowed. Is there anybody who feels in your heart right now that the love of God is calling you to him and you'd want to yield to him now? Say, I'm coming to you, Lord. Lord. If you'd want to stand to your feet, say, Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming home. I'm that prodigal. And I'm starting on that dusty road back now, Lord. There's many of you who are standing. So in your in your experience, wherever you are, I want you to mean this now. In your heart, say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm coming down that road tonight, Lord. Here I come, Lord. I'm coming around that turn. Maybe, maybe you may feel like you're miles off. But can you see him right now with eyes of faith? Here he is. He's met you on that road. What's that warm feeling you feel? That's the love of God wrapping himself around you. And he'll never leave you. But it'll be there remaining on you until you yield in repentance to him and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you need need to repent tonight, repent. Repent of your sins, turn the other way, whatever whatever it is you're doing in the world, whatever relationships, whatever habits, whatever things you're listening, watching, engaging, whatever you're pondering about doing and fantasizing about, all oh, is it, just repent of it now. We're, do, we're not. We're not thinking. I need to fix this. I need to fix that. I need to log out of this. I need to. Don't. Don't, don't worry about that right now. It's repentance. I'm changing direction. I'm a son. I'm a daughter in a hog pen, and I've come to myself. And I'm saying, Lord, I want to come home. I want to come back Amen. to you. I'm coming home tonight. I'm repenting. I'm changing my direction. And if you'd repent, if you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you can be baptized this weekend. Amen. Would you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Would you call upon the Lord and say, Lord, I want to receive this gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a real, genuine experience that a believer can have. And it's that experience that puts you in the grace of God. That you'll be able to understand and perceive and know the love of God. And go forward in life knowing that he loves you and he'll never let you go. Are you willing to yield to that tonight? I know many of you have stood. I want it to be sincere in your heart. I want it to be some real depth to it. Depth of sincerity and yielding to him. So as you, as you stood to your feet, I want to pray for you. And however you feel that you need to make contact with God, if, it's, if you need to come to an altar, if you need to have a minister pray for you, however you feel that you need to make contact with God and need to show him that you're coming to him tonight without any reservation, and if you were to have audience with him tonight, and he'd say, why are you standing here? You'd say, because you love me. And you could come to him tonight upon the basis that he loves you then just do whatever it would take tonight. And I'd like to begin to pray for you all. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we're standing in the divine presence, the very presence of love itself. You, you're here right now. And you're moving in our midst, Lord, and you're touching the hearts of these young people. And I believe you're doing it in a very unique way. And might even be an unex- uh, unexpected way. Lord, to some it might seem, well, this, these aren't the dynamics that we expect the real power of God to move, but this is very sovereign. This is very supernatural. This is very powerful. This has now become a place where births transpire. And, Lord, I pray that with this great, sweet presence that comes whenever there's a birth that's taking place, may there be a daughter who would come to you today, tonight, the close of this Friday they would stand before you and they wouldn't offer anything other than you love me Lord and I accept that love and if we were to ask them why are you here they'd say because he loves me that's why I'm here because he loves me and I want that love I want to know and perceive that love I want to understand that love I want to believe that love Lord we 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 confess that today you love us you love us and we know and believe tonight that if we could say with absolute certainty that you love us then we can say with absolute certainty that you will always love us that you will never stop loving us that your love will never leave us but that it will work in us what is needful and bring us to the place that you desire us to be so father we yield to that love now we yield to it and we just we just we don't know any, we, we have nothing else to do, Lord. You love us, so we, we accept it, we receive it. And from our hearts, something swells up within us, maybe an emotion we've never felt before. I love you too, Lord. I love you. Thank you for loving me, Lord. Thank you for loving me through my mistakes. Thank you for loving me through my rebellion and my impatience, Lord, and my ups and downs and my failures, Thank you for loving me, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you. I realize you've been there for me, and you've never left me, and you've never, even when I thought for sure, Lord, you'd be done with me, and even when I thought that surely that would do it, Lord, you've never given up on me. I love you for that, Lord. I thank you for it. I thank you, Father, that you're still calling, that you're still breaking hearts down, that you're still pursuing. We love you for that, Lord. We love you too meaning with all our hearts Lord all these years and all those times you've been saying I love you I love you I love you and it's as if a man courting a woman Lord waits for that moment and that time when his love would be projected back he says I love you dear I love you I love you and maybe all these years we've never said it back but tonight Lord we find ourselves just broken in your presence and it's love having surrounded us and we say I love you too Lord I love you I'm sorry for all the things I've said and done. I'm sorry for the mistakes I've made. I'm sorry, Lord, that I've disrespected you. Lord, I'm sorry that I've brought a reproach. Lord, I'm sorry that I've done the things that you've asked me not to do. Lord, I'm sorry for not yielding Lord. I'm sorry for wasting this talent and that gift, Lord, and losing this virtue. And dear Lord, I'm sorry. Please, please forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry. I love you too. I love you, Lord. My rebellion and my stubbornness, Lord, please don't take it. Is any sign of that I don't love you? I love you, Lord. And may I pray, Lord, for those who've stood, those who've come for prayer, Lord. Receive us, Lord. And I was nothing
1: until You found me. You have given.
0: To me, heartaches and broken pieces. Oh, and heart. Was what was craving in me. You have given life to me. Sing it. I will serve thee because I love thee. I will serve
1: thee because I
0: it again, but I just want to stay in this channel. You just search your hearts. You just plead to him. You just come to him tonight without any reservation, without holding back anything. I believe that whatever you have need of tonight, you can receive it. Whatever it is, you can receive it right now in his divine presence. So where you sit as we sing, as we lift these up, maybe Brother John could continue to lead this song in worship as we pray for different ones that would need prayer. But let's just open up our hearts to him while we stand here.
1: I will serve thee because The Oh, the joy that floods my soul, oh, I know something wonderful's happened, oh, and now, oh, I know He touched. Let's just sing praise since I met, oh, and since I met this blessed Savior, oh, and since he cleansed and made, only love
0: can do that, only love can do that, oh, I, I will never cease, Lord, let my life be a love song, Lord Jesus echo back the love you poured into me Lord oh I'll shout hallelujah shout it young people
1: let the whole world know he's touched you thank you Jesus
0: oh he touched me I know that I know that I know I know he touched me I've got no doubt tonight that you loved me Lord oh and oh the joy oh the joy that floods my soul I know that something wonderful
1: has happened, oh, and now, oh, I know, He touched me
0: and made me whole. Can you accept it tonight? Can you accept it? I wish I could just go, just to each one of you, do you you believe He loves you? Do you believe he loves you? Do you believe lo- Do you believe he loves you? Do you believe it? Now think about it. If he loves you and you know, you know right now, you say, I believe, thus saith the Lord, he loves me. Then no matter what happens tomorrow, the next day, fast forward 10 years, if you can come back to this and say, I know he loves me, then he will always love you. And that's what's going to make the difference, young people, is that love. And listen, it produces something. Because if, if, if I don't see the results of it, and I said, no, you don't really know it yet. Not quite. You're not quite there yet. But he loves you. He loves you, and he'll always love you. Why? Because God's not a quitter. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as I turn this service over to Brother Andrew, I, I have to just leave it here, Lord. And I know you've done something special for these young people tonight. Yes. May they leave here. May this be a, a service, Lord. I I pray Lord I I say this in a way to get attention to the young people may this be a memorial service of of doubt we're memorializing it because it's dead now we're we're burying it this is a memorial service for doubt this is a memorial service for fear this was a memorial service for all the the questions and the wonderings because we'll leave tonight knowing that love is alive that your love is real and will know and believe the love that you have for us, unconditional, an uh, uh, unrelenting, stubborn love. Amen. Lord, I pray as I read about that warmth of love that wrapped around that iron bar. May we, if we be as hard as iron tonight, may we walk away believing that love has wrapped itself around me. I'm in the process of changing. Amen. We accept it tonight, Lord. Love has wrapped itself around me. I'm in the process of changing. And Lord, we love you. and we, ex- we just pour out our hearts to you, saying we love you back. Lord, we love you. Bless these young people as we seal these things up now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Oh, I love him. Oh, I love lift our hands and sing it to him and purchase my
1: salvation on Calvary
0: tree. doesn't it feel good to tell him sing it again I love him
1: Ah